It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So our text here, 2 Kings, says, Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. Here we find King Ahaziah on his deathbed. Family, you could tell a lot about a person by what they do and what they say when they're on their deathbed. When a person is looking death in the face, all of their pretentiousness vanishes, all of uh, their fakeness goes away, and their true self comes to the surface. Therefore, we should take with a grain of salt all the silly, silly little careless things that people say about life, about what they believe about life, about what they believe about themselves and what they believe about God when they are healthy, when they are strong, when their bank accounts and their bellies are full. All right? Because the disposition of a person's heart will be on full display when they are faced with the prospect of dying and standing before God. This is what we see here in this first chapter of 2 Kings. King Ahaziah, again, is a man who's facing death, and he interacts with the Lord during the last moments of his life. And his interaction, they prove the disposition of his heart towards God and where he is spiritually as it relates to the Lord. So let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to help us understand his word. Lord, God, we pray, God, that you help us all to understand what your word has for your people, O oh Lord. God, I pray that you help me to proclaim the truth of your word, O oh God, so that your people will see the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ and grow in their knowledge of you, God, and their love for you, O oh Lord. Lord, I admit that I am entirely dependent upon you to do this. God, I need your help today to rightly divide your word, to show your people your glory, O oh Lord. And Lord, I pray that by the aid of your spirit that I can call your drifting saints to repentance, O oh God, and to edify those who are striving to walk with you and to encourage those who are disheartened this morning, O oh God. It's in the holy name of Christ we pray. Amen. I'm going to read the entire chapter so you can hear the word of the Lord. 2 Kings chapter 1. After the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. He sent messengers telling them, Go, inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. The messengers returned to the king and said, and he said to them, why have you returned? And they said to him, there came a man to meet us and said to us, go back to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, is it because there was no God in Israel 
that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. He said to them, What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered him, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist, and he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. Then the king sent him, then the king sent to him a captain of fifty men with his fifty. He went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of a hill, and said to him, O man of God, the king says, Come down. But Elijah answered the captain of fifty, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Again, the king sent him another captain of fifty men with his fifty. And he answered and said, To him, O man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. But Elijah answered them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Again, the king sent the captain of a third fifty with his fifty. And the third captain of fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him, O man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of 50 men with their 50s, but now let my life be precious in your sight. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him, do not be afraid of him. So he arose And went down with him to the king and said to him, Thus saith the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. Is it because there is no god in Israel to you to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Amen. So we see here in verse 1, after the death of Ahab, the Bible says Moab rebelled against Israel. So the book of first, the books of 1 and 2 Kings tell us of the events of Israel's history from the latter days of King David's reign until the capture and destruction of Jerusalem. These two books tell us about the political and the social history of the nation, but these books are more than just an account of Israel's history, political history. These books tell us how the nation of Israel responded to their God, the God who had taken them out of slavery in the land of Egypt and brought them into a covenant relationship with himself and had given them great privilege through privileges through the promises that he made to Abraham and to King David in those covenants. Second Kings continues the story of First Kings. First Kings didn't end well. It wasn't a dramatic climax. It wasn't a happily ever after story. After King Solomon's death, the nation split into two, a northern and a southern nation, and they were in decline and much idolatry and, and, and in folly. And Second Kings is what we're in today. It picks up after the death of King Ahab, who is possibly the wickedest king that Israel ever had. 
and his son Ahaziah assumes the throne and God's people are headed toward exile out of the promised land because their kings refused to submit to the Lord's rule and to keep his covenant. So here's, this is the setting here, family, of this story. King Ahaziah, his father Ahab recently dies. Then he's installed as king of Israel. Verse 1 tells us that Moab, or the Moabites, is a tribe that King David conquered uh, in the past, and they were under the rule of Israel. They began to rebel. They saw Ahab's death as an opportunity now to rebel. And then King Ahaziah has fallen through a window or fallen off the top of the castle some kind of way, and he's laying on his deathbed. And we know from uh, uh, 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 51, that Ahaziah only ruled two years. So all of this happened in a relatively short period of time in the span of two years. So at this point in the story, King Ahaziah, he's laying on his deathbed due to some kind of accident. That's in verse 2, it says that he fell through the latisse in the upper chamber uh, in Samaria and lay sick. So this word latisse, it can mean balcony, it can mean window. The Bible doesn't tell us how he fell. The Bible doesn't tell us why he fell. The Bible just tells us that he fell and that the accident or the fall was so bad and his injuries were so serious, he did not know if, that, if he was going to live. So in response to his current situation, King Ahaziah does something very interesting. If you look with me at the second half of verse 2, it says, So he sent messengers telling them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. So here at the very beginning of the story, King Ahaziah, his life is hanging in the balance. He's on his deathbed. He's afraid. He doesn't know if he's going to live. His father recently died. He's the king of a nation in turmoil. He's dealing with an internal rebellion. And if there was any time that a man would seek after God, it would be at, during a time such as this. And I ask you, family, what would you do if you were badly hurt? If your life was in shambles and you were laying on your deathbed, what would you do, family? At the end of your life, uh, if the end of your life is before you, where will you turn? And in the final days of your life, where are you going to run to? And when King Ahaziah was on his deathbed, he makes two very terrible, terrible, terrible decisions. Okay? And these two decisions exposed where his heart was before the Lord. So the first decision he made was he tried to inquire or, or consult with Beelzebub by sending messengers to Ekron. You see that in verses 1 through 4. The second very terrible decision that he made was he tried to confront the God of the universe by sending troops to arrest his prophet Elijah, and you see that in verses 9 through 16. Both very terrible ideas. Okay? They expose King Ahaziah's heart. But it's the Lord's response to King Ahaziah's terrible decisions in idolatry that show us three realities about our God and our king. If you look at your handouts, you'll see that the first reality that this story shows us is that our God is a jealous God. The second reality that, you, that this text exposes to us is that our God is king. And the third reality that this text shows us is that our God is faithful. Let's look at the first reality. Our God is a jealous God. 
first thing I want you to notice here is this. I want you to notice who King Ahaziah was trying to send a messenger to, to trying to send messengers to. Uh, verse 2 says he sent messengers to Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. Now, Ekron is a Philistine city. It's about 40 uh, miles south of Samaria or Israel. Uh, Beelzebub is one of the many gods of that region. His name, Baal, means Lord, and Zebub means of the flies. So he, this is the Lord of the flies. I'm sure you heard that name before. It's more likely, though, that his original name was actually, among the Philistines, his original name would have been Beelzebul. You, you see this name in the New Testament, Beelzebul, which means exalted Lord. So some uh, commentators think that this is a, a play on words. They're mocking his name by calling him the Lord of the Flies. Okay? Uh, whoever he was, he was one of the false gods of the Philistines. And so we see, like I said, we see this name in the New Testament. We see this false name or this false god, Beelzebub, in the New Testament. In Luke 11, when Jesus is casting out demons, some of the people said he casts out demons by Beelzebub the prince of demons. And Jesus answers them a few verses later, and he says, if Satan is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by, who, by whom do your sons cast them out? So Jesus' questions indicate that Beelzebub, had, his name now in the New Testament has become synonymous with the name for the devil or the name of Satan. So when King Ahaziah tried to consult Beelzebub, he was consulting the devil family, right? There is no good reason for King Ahaziah, the king of Israel, to consult with Beelzebub. The king could have and should have called upon the God of Israel. Family, the fact that King Ahaziah was willing to go out of his way and spend money to send messengers outside of the nation of Israel to consult Satan instead of consulting Yahweh, the God of Israel, shows us how far his heart is away from God. Ahaziah's action was a public declaration that he esteemed the God of the flies of the Philistines above the living God of Israel. And it was proof of his disrespect and his contempt for Yahweh. And all of the troubles that Ahaziah was experiencing in his life should have brought him to, him, to his senses. His life was a complete wreck. It was completely, everything was going wrong. And instead of seeking refuge in the God of his fathers, he sends messengers to some false foreign God to get help. And family, we really, really need to understand what's going on here. Because when King Ahaziah sends his messengers to go consult with Beelzebub about whether he would uh, recover from these injuries, it exposes two major problems with his theology and what he understood about God. The first major problem was simply this. It was idolatry. Okay, it is idolatry. The second problem is, is that he reduced his religion to interrogation. And I'll explain to you what I mean by that in a minute. But the first one, the first, very first problem is idolatry. Ahaziah deliberately and intentionally rejected Yahweh as his God 
when he turned to seek counsel from an idol. What Ahaziah did was a clear and obvious violation of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before you, ex, before me. Exodus 20, verse 3. This commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, is the foundation of all true religion, family. This commandment requires that we know and acknowledge Yahweh to be the only true God. This commandment requires that we worship and glorify him accordingly. This commandment bans us from denying or not worshiping and glorifying Yahweh as the only true God. This commandment forbids us from denying that Yahweh is our God. This commandment forbids us from giving worship and or glory to any other which is due to the Lord and the Lord alone. For King Ahaziah, or any person for that matter, to consult an idol is to reject the Lord as your God. To inquire of any so-called foreign God is to deny the Lord's rightful place as king over your life and to attempt to find out the answers of life's questions by asking somebody else other than the creator is to forsake him. Okay? And to do this in any form is idolatry. The second problem that we see when Ahaziah sends these messengers to Beelzebub is that it reduces religion into nothing but interrogation. Now, here's what I mean by that, family. All Ahaziah wanted to know was how his life was going to turn out, right? If his injuries would lead to death, that's all he wanted. And some of us act just like King Ahaziah. Though there are many of us who, who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and all we want to know is what God is going to do for us. Okay? There are self-professed Christians who only want God to tell us how this transaction is going to turn out, who, who, who is my potential spouse, how the situation is going to turn out, is this illness terminal or not? And all that some Christians want God to be for us is a question-answering God, a fortune-telling God, a God that will bless us and take care of us and nurse us back to health and help us regain our strength so we can get back to ignoring his existence. So let me ask you this question, family. Do the ideas of obedience and service, self-discipline and sacrifice ever come into your concept of being a believer or being a Christian? Do you ever pray and ask God, Lord, how can I serve you? What can I do for your kingdom? What can I do today to glorify your name, O oh God? You ever ask those, those questions to the Lord? If not, we need to examine our faith. And try our hearts and ask God to show us if we are not like King Ahaziah and simply turning our faith into nothing but an interrogation of the Lord God. Next, let's look at the Lord's response to Ahaziah sending messengers. Look with me at verse 3. It says, But the Lord, I'm sorry, but the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise. 
go up to meet the messengers of King Samaria and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? The Lord's response to Ahaziah's idolatry is swift, it's immediate, and it shows us, that the, real, it shows us the reality that our God is a jealous God. So immediately after Ahaziah uh, sends these messengers, the Lord sends his messenger, the prophet Elijah, to intercept him. And it's fitting that the Lord would send a man named Elijah to intercept him because the Elijah's ma- name means my God is the Lord, right? What the prophet Elijah does is he challenges King Ahaziah's idolatry. And he does this by asking a recurring question. We see this question in verses 3, in verses 6, in verses 16. And this is the question. It says, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? The Lord, through Elijah, repeats this rhetorical question, this rhetorical uh, expression over and over again as a way to highlight Ahaziah's disrespect and conscious rejection of God. It's a rhetorical question. He don't need an answer. He already knows the answer, right? Then in verse 4, it says, Now therefore, thus saith the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So, some are going to read this and conclude that the Lord is harsh, cruel, and unloving in responding like this so quickly. But I submit to you, family, that the reason for such a response is in fact because the Lord loved Israel so much, right? Deuteronomy 4, 7 declares, For what nation, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to them as the Lord our God is to us? Whatever Whenever we call upon him. For the Lord, this is Psalm uh, 135 verse 4 says, For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his own possession. And Hosea 2.19 says says that uh, uh, I will betroth you, Israel, to me forever. The Lord sees Israel as his bride. Israel belongs to the Lord as his special possession, as his unique treasure, as his special people. And it is because God was so near to Israel and because God, because Israel was so close to God's heart that consulting a foreign God provoked him to judgment. So if you think God is being harsh in his response, let me ask you this. How should a man respond when his bride gives her love and devotion to another man. What do you think is going to happen? Ahaziah could have called upon Yahweh any time. And the Bible said that he was near and he would answer. And despite this truth, Ahaziah willfully and intentionally chose to consult Beelzebub. And something else here I want you to consider, that when the Lord, if you think that the Lord is being harsh here, I want you to consider this. When the angel of the Lord sends Elijah to confront King Ahaziah, family, this is an act of grace. Okay, this is an act of grace. Our God is full of grace. Our God is full of mercy. He is the God of grace. He always has been, even in situations like this. 
So listen, the problem is, is you have not allowed the Bible to inform your definition of grace. That's all. That's all that's wrong. Okay. The, the, the Lord sends Elijah to intercept messengers before they actually commit the sin. When Jonah told, God told Jonah, go to Nineveh, and Jonah said, no, I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm going the other way. God was like, no, you ain't. No, you ain't. Jonah was like, throw me off the boat. I ain't going to Nineveh. I want to die. What happened? It's a fish there waiting on him. The Lord, the sovereign God, did that. He's given Ahaziah an opportunity to repent and turn from his sin. Family, that's the definition of grace. And this is how the Lord graciously operates with his people. Throughout history, he's operated with his people. Go read the book of Judges. You know how many times them people fell and the Lord saved them and came back and he did it and he sent another judge and they fell off again and he sent another judge? The God is gracious. Amos 4, 6 says this, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places, yet you did not return to me. He did that to call him back to covenant faithfulness. Listen to me, family. The Lord sends affliction and difficult circumstances as grace to his people. Amen. Psalm 119, 67 says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. It was... Uh, Psalm 119.71, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I may learn your decrees. And Psalm 119.75 says, I know, O Lord, that your laws are righteous, and in faithfulness you have afflicted me. That's the word of God. The Lord sent affliction and confrontation as grace to call you back to him. And should the Lord ever confront us, like he confronts Ahaziah in his passage, define it as grace, family. When God meets us and confronts us and sends people to have it out with us, whenever we try to rebel against him, God is being gracious to you. And blessed is the man that recognizes this and falls down and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Until I die, I'm going to always say this. If the Lord stops sending people, to confront you when you're sinning, be afraid. He might be handing you over to your sin. Is this what you want? You want God to be indifferent towards you, family? You don't want that. Sin steals our joy. Sin kills us physically and spiritually, and it destroys our relationship with the people horizontal to us and our great God. This is what sin does. It kills, steals, and destroys. And some people, you want God to just leave you alone? You don't want him to confront you? You want him to leave you alone in a sin that's going to kill you and destroy you? You really want that? That's madness. That's madness. But our God is jealous. And if you are his, God will kill you to keep you from going to hell, family. Our God is jealous. We must not in any way, shape, or form consult idols. Amen? Amen. Christian, let me ask you this. Colossians, 2, Colossians chapter 2, verse 3 says this quite clearly, right? says it quite clearly that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Okay? Why are you wasting your time with 
horoscopes and, and astrology and crystal balls and all other kind of nonsense. Why are you wasting that when all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge is in Jesus and Jesus is in you? Why are you wasting your time with that stuff? And I admit that as Americans, none of us are going to send messengers to Beelzebub. I mean, I'm, I'm sure some Satan worshippers somewhere, but for the most part, that's not what we do. But family, idolatry is alive and well in America, right? And many Christians worship at the altar of idols. Politics, money, health care, those are some of the most prevalent ones. And before somebody get mad at me, because I know we got a whole bunch of Filipino nurses up in here, I ain't saying that don't get no health care. That's not what I'm saying, okay? <laughs> what I'm saying is, is don't make these things an idol, Right? Don't trust these things more than you trust God. The Lord is the God of the body. You can have the best doctors, the best medicine, the best health care, the best insurance, and when God says it's time to go home, you're going home. So our, for, for our, we should not be making anything at an idol. We should not love anything more than we love the Lord. We should not trust anything more than we trust the Lord. And we should not be looking to these things for our security, for our justification, and for our satisfaction in life. Period. Our only hope in life and death is the Lord Jesus Christ. And family, like I said, our God is jealous. He refuses refuses to compete with any idol for the heart, minds, and affections of his covenant people. Nor should he, because he is God and God alone. Who in heaven can compare to a God like the one that we have, family? There is no God like him in heaven or on earth. He hung the earth on nothing. He put the moon and the stars in place with a word. He marked off the horizons. He set the boundaries between light and darkness. He holds up the universe by the word of his power. He sits outside of time, family, and then he put on a body of flesh and stepped into history. So when you look at your watch and you see noon, you know what he see? Eternity. He died on a cross and was resurrected in three days. He walked in death's office, kicked his feet up on the desk, and said, we're about to change how you do everything up in here. You don't know a God like this. There's only one God in the universe like this God. Why should he have to compete for your affection? He is God and he is God alone. So the next reality that this text shows us is that about our Lord is that our God is king. Our God is king. Look with me in verse 5. The messengers returned to the king and said to, said, and he said to them, why have you returned? And they said to him, there was a, there came a man to meet us and and said to us, go back to the king who sent you and say to him, thus saith the Lord, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? So uh, King Ahaziah, he realizes that the messengers didn't make it to Ekron. They, they apparently came back too fast. 
right? The messengers tell the king the message that came from Elijah, and the king only has one question, family. What kind of man was this that met you and told you these things? So don't misunderstand the question. He's not trying to find out what kind of man he is. He's trying to find out who it is, who is it that told you this so I could go get him. I need to confront him, right? So once the messengers describe what the man was wearing, King Ahaziah knows immediately who he's talking about. He said, oh, that's Elijah, the Tishbite. The reason he knows this is because of the, all the interactions that Elijah had with his father, King Ahab. So Elijah had been in earshot of all of the proofs of God's power and all the long-suffering and justice and miraculous works that God had done in his father's life. And no doubt he heard about Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And none of this, none of this made an impression on King Ahaziah. Even the, tra- the, way, his, the, the way his father ends up dying had no effect on King Ahaziah. And that's sad, because this man saw many mighty works that the Lord had done through Elijah. He was, and not to mention the fact, he's the king of Israel. He experienced blessings from God that most Israelites would never know. And yet none of this changed him. None of this had any kind of effect on him. And there's many people like in this, sitting in this church right now that's exactly like this man. You grew up in Christian homes. You heard the gospel getting preached to you every day. You heard about the Lord. You saw the, the Lord, the, the Lord Jesus Christ change your parents' heart and convert your family. Your whole family looked completely different now. You saw how the Lord moved and provided for your family and what he has done many times over and over and over and over. And yet, like Ahaziah, these things that you heard and these things that you saw had no effect on you. And if this is you, family, please listen to me. You sit up in this church every Sunday, and you hear Jesus getting preached, and we plead with you, come to Christ. You hear about the gospel. You hear about how God willingly gave his only begotten son for you. Come to him. We plead with you, and we beg with you, and we pray for you. And you hear all of this, and you just keep rebelling, and you keep sinning against this much light. Stop. Stop. The Lord has blessed you. This should change you. Look back with me at verse 9. In verse 9, we see King Ahaziah's response to Elijah confronting him. It says, Then the king sent him a captain of 50 men with his 50. That means that's 51 men. It's the captain plus the 50. Okay. He went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of the hill, and said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. Okay? So this part of the story, and then, he, and then you know, we read it already. I'm not going to read it again, but he sends three sets of troops. Okay? So this part of the story shows us how stubborn and incredulous King Ahaziah was, and I, but I want you to notice a few things here. First, because King Ahaziah knows Elijah is a man of God, he knows Elijah's history from his father Ahab, and he knows what Elijah is capable of, 
he sends a whole squadron of 51 troops to go arrest him. So listen to me, family, in other words, because he remember who Elijah is and know what Elijah is carrying, he can't just send a squad car, he got to send SWAT, okay? And the second thing I want you to notice is that I want you to notice the irony of his response against Elijah. So King Ahaziah, he sends messengers to Beelzebub and Ekron, and he wants to find out if I'm going to live. Well, Elijah told him, right? Matter of fact, you ain't even got to, you can save all that money on that trip outside the country. I got your answer right here, homeboy, right? You're going to die. You got the answer to your question. So then why is he responding with so much anger and pettiness then? Because the problem is not with the news that he got. The problem is with who the news is from. He was prepared to hear this news from Beelzebub, but he didn't want to hear it from Yahweh. He didn't want to hear it from Yahweh, and all this proves is what his disposition is in his heart towards God. That's all that proves. And not to mention the fact, man, you just learned you're about to die. And one would think that after hearing this kind of terrible announcement that you are going to die, that you would respond with humility and repentance. Instead, this man is embittered and filled with anger. He even plans to murder Elijah. He's after Elijah, family. He's not just going to say, hey, how you doing? Talk to me about it. He's sending troops. Like, it's about to be a problem. Okay, so he sends this squadron of troops to arrest Elijah the prophet, and when the, fifth, when the first 51 men are consumed by fire, he ain't done. He sends, he still don't recognize that God is at work, that the almighty God of the universe is doing something, right? And, and in the, in another further display of stubbornness, he sends another 51 troops, and those men die. And then he sends another third wave of 51 troops. He's so stubborn and hard-hearted that he's just sending these men to be sacrificed. And remember, he's doing all of this while he's on his deathbed, face-to-face with the grave. Whatever reverence he might have had for God is all gone. This is a madman. Okay? So, now again, I want to talk to some of y'all before you think that the Lord, through Elijah, is being harsh in the way that he dealt with these captains. I want you to consider something. When these captains addressed Elijah as the man of God, they're just being sarcastic, right? They don't really mean that, because if they really believed that he was a man of God, they would have approached him the way the third captain did, right? Because man of God is a title in Israel for the prophet of God, right? They really believed that they wouldn't approach him and commanded him, come down off the hill and come see the king. And therefore, we can say that these captains, in a sense, they aided and abetted the idolatry of King Ahaziah and the disrespect and the dishonor that they showed Yahweh. They are not innocent. Right? Also, I want you to look at verse 13. Look at verse 13, where it says, And the third captain of fifty... I'm sorry, and, the, and again, the king sent the third captain, I'm sorry, again, the king sent the captain of a third 50 with his 50, and the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him, O man of God, 
Please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. So this man, the Bible says that this man fell on his knees before Elijah. This is a sign of reverence. He entreated Elijah, which means he begged with Elijah and pleaded with him. And look at what he was pleading for. He was pleading for mercy for himself, mercy for his men. And he acknowledged that the fire of God's judgment was threatening them. And he pleaded to God for mercy. And when this man or any man approaches God like this, he will save them and be merciful to them. Amen? Remember the story of the Pharisees, the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Bible says, but the tax collector was standing afar off. He wouldn't even look, lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Christ says, I tell you the truth that this man went home justified rather than the other one. So this last captain, he rightly understood. Like all of us have to understand, our God is a true king and you must approach him humbly. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Anyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Family, God has told you what he expects of you. He told you what is good. He told you what he requires of you, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. Our God is king of kings. You must approach him humbly, amen? This brings us to the last reality that this text shows us, that our God is faithful. Our God is faithful. So uh, uh, we move on forward in the story, and we see in verse 15, we see the Lord's response to the third captain's humility. It says that, the Bible says that, the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him, do not be afraid. So so he, Elijah, arose, went down with him to the king. Right? And we see in verse 17, the end of the story. Elijah announces face-to-face for the first time to King Elijah what he already heard from the messengers. And the Word of God says, Because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. No happily ever after, no happy ending, he dies an unrepentant man. And what's worse is, I'm sorry, this is not worse. This is actually good. Just stay with me for a second. The Bible says, so he died according to the word of the Lord as Elijah spoken. God is faithful to his word, whether threat or promise, family. Okay? But what makes his story feel like it ends so awfully is this. Is, is that the entire book of Second Kings, it continues this repeated recital of Israel's demise and their eventual destruction on account of these wicked, terrible, idolatrous kings. And one of the objectives of Second Kings 
is to show us God was justified. He was completely justified in destroying these people. Right? And biblical history tells us that Israel was eventually given over to the Assyrians because they persisted in their idol worship promoted by these kings. And family, I want you to just, for a moment, just imagine with me if you were a faithful Israelite living through the king, the reign of King Ahaziah, but you knew and you believed that Yahweh made a covenant with David. You would have believed that God promised to give David a son who was going to sit on his throne and his name would be great and he would protect his people and he would give his people rest and that he would continue this kingly line eternally. But you would also know according to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14, that according to this covenant, that those blessings could only be enjoyed if David's king was faithful to Yahweh. If David's son was faithful to Yahweh, seven, uh, 2 Kings seven fourteen says, God will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Whenever he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rods of men. So just imagine, family, how King Ahaziah's stories would have caused you to, to react. You know that your own blessings and the blessings of the nation are bound up in the obedience of this king. And you have seen king after king after king sin and fail. But believing Yahweh is faithful to his word, the only hope that you have is to cry out to him, Lord, send us another king. And because our God is good and our God is faithful and he keeps his covenant promises, he sends us a king. David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this king, he's not like the other kings of Israel. This king is faithful to his covenant. He's nothing like Ahaziah at all. Because Ahaziah used his authority as king to send messengers to inquire of Beelzebub to find out about his own life. King Jesus used his authority as king to send messengers to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ so that we can have eternal life. While King Ahaziah, he sacrificed his own men to confront God in rebellion for his own benefit, King Jesus sacrificed himself in obedience to Yahweh for the salvation and the benefit of his people. And King Ahaziah, he prided himself. And he was rebellious, even on his deathbed. But David's true son, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of obedience to death on a cross for our salvation. Amen? So we have a great king, a great true son of David. As we consider the reign of King Ahaziah and the end of his life, what we see is that God did, say, God did what God said he was going to do. His word, he was faithful to his word because our God is faithful. His word came true and it always does and it always will. King Ahaziah laying on his deathbed, he had no hope for recovery because he didn't repent, family. And this, King Ahaziah's life, is a picture of every sinner without Christ. 
Elijah's diagnosis applies to every person who refuses to worship King Jesus. You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you will surely die. That is the prognosis and the fate of every man who has not put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But you can live, family. You don't have to die on that bed. But you must turn to Christ. You must go to him for mercy, for forgiveness, and salvation. Jesus died on the cross to atone for sins. Then on the third day, God raised him up. From the dead, he conquered death. And there is no way, no way for you to have this saving mercy and this eternal life from God except through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our only hope, family. He's our only hope. The wages of sin and death, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the only way that you are getting out of that deathbed and you can make a full recovery from sin and death is to throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we pray that you press these truths on our heart today, O God, and cause us to believe that you are a jealous God and we shouldn't worship any other so-called gods. We need you, Father, to help us to believe that you are king and that we should approach you with humility. God, if you do not cause our hearts to trust your word, we will never believe that our God is a faithful God. So, Lord, fill us with your spirit so that we might obey you and put no other gods before you, O Lord. Lord, we thank you that our righteous King Jesus is the only cure for our idolatry. We are grateful that God the Son took on himself flesh and blood so that he might bear the penalty for all of our idolatry in his body on the cross. And we are thankful that he rose from the grave. And now he commands us and empowers us by his spirit to worship him and him alone. It's in the holy name of Christ we pray. Amen. Many crowns. 